We need peace. 93.3 and AM 560. The United States stands with Israel. KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 93.3 KWTO and stream us on the 93.3 mobile app. Welcome back to KWTO. Uh, KWTO, we've got a short show today. Uh, Missouri State basketball starting at 5.30, so we'll only have an hour and a half here as we do every day. Going to have a snake draft in the second half of the show. Question of the day today. Plus two guests today in a short show. And we're kicking it off right off the bat with Shoshana Wiseman, who is the digital director and a fellow at the R Street Institute. Shoshana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Shoshana, one thing we do every single day on the show, we start with a question of the day. Question of the day, every day, different than the day before. Every day, guests and hosts have to answer the question of the day. And rule of the show, we don't tell anybody in advance what the question of the day is. Question of the day today, what's the strangest sport you follow and care about? Oh, man. Well, I'm I'm not a sports person, but I really like hiking. And I follow a lot of people who like marmots. So it's like... The sport of hiking and then seeing groundhogs, basically. <laughs> That's a thing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We love marmots. They're so cute. They have the pudgiest little bellies. So it's the greatest thing. Is this, like, something you can watch on TV? Can you get, like, ESPN 8, the Ocho, and, like, tune in to watch this thing? Oh, I wish. That would be amazing. No, I follow it on Instagram. All these different hikers, trail runners, climbers, but we all love marmots. Like, once you really get into alpine terrain, you just fall in love with marmots, and then everyone shares pictures of them. This is the greatest thing about the show, because every day I learn stuff I never knew before. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, Shoshana, the reason I have you on the show, you, uh, you know, obviously you, you do all this work, but you've got a, a post. And your post is about the fundamental problem with social media age verification legislation. A lot of rules about should we require a certain amount of age to do social media. You say no. Why not? Because that's something we've bandied about here on the show a lot. For sure. And I understand parents who are concerned, but it really has to come down to parents and communities. Um, When I first started looking into this issue, I saw some issues off the bat of just the problems with verifying age in general. But the deeper I dug, the more I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's a bunch of Supreme Court precedent basically showing you you can't condition constitutional speech on government. Like the government cannot say children, you cannot access this constitutional speech um, with a rare exception. And then the deeper I got, I realized all the problems with it. Uh, if you watch The Simpsons, there's this great uh, episode where Bart is like, hey, Lise, is dad's credit card number? And he, like, rattles it off. And she's like, you know it is. But it's because kids, when, you know, when credit cards are required for things, when government IDs are required for things, kids start to learn how to use those things. And even if you get deeper uh, with facial scanning, AI and face scanning doesn't work great for people of color. So if you condition it on that, then you're like basically stopping a bunch of people of color from being able to use social media. Um, plus, it's really, really invasive. And to the, to the degree you have problems with these companies, I wouldn't want them having my face scans and government IDs. Um, and the last part I'll get into is just with VPNs. If you add in VPNs to the equation, it's almost impossible. And then you just create this huge mess. It doesn't really work right. And it comes down to that if parents don't want kids to use social media, they should absolutely stop their kids from using social media. But it's just not a role that the government's equipped to handle. 
Uh, let's let's start from sort of the end of the argument and work backwards because the end of the argument is we've seen this spike in suicide rates and depression amongst teens, and a lot of people think it traces back to social media. And then we've got you know litigation, all this conversation about algorithms and how it's trapped them in, into this this down spiral um, of, of of bullying and abuse. Do you think that social media overall is bad for teens, or do you think it's not relevant to to this other stuff? So I think that there's other things at play. I actually started using social media at a pretty young age, but I used it to network and work in politics. Um, I learned uh, how to yeah, connect. Yeah, but with we in politics are weird. We're not the normal yeah, so, the normal users of social media. We're not checking to see did I get invited to the, all the cool parties this weekend. It's like no, I want to go to the nerd party where we're going to read the Constitution. Oh, sure. No, a hundred percent. But, um, but one thing that I have found that I'm actually a little bit more convinced is, uh, is a bigger piece at play here is that kids have less time not supervised by parents. Uh, not to say we should let kids run free all the time, but they're not being given an opportunity to do their own thing, to just experiment, to try to, you know, to go bike in the woods, to do stuff like that. And um, that correlates pretty close. Correlation isn't causation, though, but that is a little bit closer to what I'd expect because social media is just a tool. You can use it in a positive or a negative way. And some teens are teaching themselves how to use social media for business, and then they're going off and telling local businesses, let me manage your social media. And they're doing really cool things with it. Other kids use it in more negative ways. And whether it's a chicken or the egg thing, a lot of studies are just complex. They're not really showing much one way or the other. I kind of think that there's more at play here. Uh, okay. So and I, I totally agree with you. And I think this is one thing. I grew up in the country. My brother and I, I think back now, my brother and I at 13, I, I, they, I just hike off in the woods and come back four hours later. My parents, we didn't have cell phones or anything. They just sort of trusted we'd find our way home. It's very different with kids now than that. Yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't even have a lot of that time until I got a little bit older. But um, but now my favorite thing to do is just to walk in the woods away from people. Yeah, and, and search just, for you know, marman or whatever you call them. Yeah, the marmots, yeah. No, it's great. And I think kids need a little bit more of that. And also their time to be able to figure out how they want to live their lives. And a piece of that is business. And I love that there's all these kids now on LinkedIn who want to learn business and who want to, like, become a part of that community. I think that's amazing. But a lot of these laws would stop kids from being able to use all trails, from being able to use um uh, LinkedIn. I mean, all these things that are super useful to your life, like aside from Instagram and aside from TikTok or Facebook or anything, there's all these platforms and these, uh, that all of these laws are basically conditioned on parental consent, which in itself might not sound as bad, except in order to get that, you need age verification to know what age they are, to know who their parents are. And then you're defeating all these platforms super, super, super sensitive information that just makes it super ripe for cybersecurity attacks, hacks, and all, and, uh, you know, accidental disclosures. So before the, the kids even 18, all of their information is just sucked into these platforms. Um, and, uh, and you know, it's just, I mean, my, my dad keeps dealing with cyber attacks. I deal with hacked accounts all the time. And I think cybersecurity, cybersecurity is also a really big, big national security threat. And all of that is not something to take lightly. Uh, I actually agree with you, and and on that conversation, I, I I've been on this train for a while, complaining about TikTok and people allowing you know their kids on TikTok because I think it's it's just sucking out our information. But let's let's focus on the age verification because there's also a push, and this is a little bit different, or it's a lot different, 
uh, to require age verification for like Pornhub and and or and essentially pornography websites in certain states. There's been a big push to do that. Do you what what's your thoughts on that? Do you think it works? Doesn't work? Don't care? Different issue? Yeah, it's a little bit different. Like in um in theory, I really don't have issue with it because we we as a society and under the constitution, we kind of know that you know porn is a very different category of speech that you can say you can you know you can condition it so that only kids of certain age can access it. Just like if you go in person, um, they'll check your ID. Uh, but interestingly, that's not exactly in law. That's kind of how. Um, the businesses have decided to run. They're like, you know, we can look at someone's ID and then let them in. But um, with online, it's just so much harder because these sites can acquire people's government IDs and have to maintain lists of it and their most sensitive information. I don't want kids having access to this stuff at all, but doing it through government creates a lot of really complex issues here. And, um, you know, in person, someone can check your ID and say, okay, you're over 18. But online, that's the opportunity for blackmail. And that's, that leads to other cyber threats, where if someone says, for example, like a local priest has, um, has used pornography online um, and has accessed it, that's really valuable information that's really ripe for blackmail. And I worry about that potential. But when the technology matures more, I really don't have any issue using age verification there because even though it's constitutionally protected speech, it's not protected for kids. But um, when the technology matures more, it's still just not appropriate for constitutionally protected speech for everyone, the kind of stuff you have on social media that can be about anything from cats to hiking, to how to become popular. Like, those are different categories. But right now, where the tech is at, I just think it's kind of dangerous for both. What What would you think, and I, and I know maybe we have a slightly different opinion on this, but what would you think would be, aside from just per parents having a, a more insight and more um, uh, being controlling their kids on, on what, what age they get onto social media, is there a role for the government in the whole social media children's teen depression combo is there a role for the government or not at all so i think it's it's a gentler role in my view and, and i appreciate that we can talk and disagree too i i'm always down to nerd with people who see things differently but i think one really important thing and this is just for kind of everything online in general i don't think we're doing a really great job of teaching kids about security online and dangers online ranging from like you know, this if you if you're depressed and you're just scrolling and scrolling, that's not good for you. To also just here's where it's dangerous to disclose your information online. Have you thought about where this could go? Or, you know, you put in your mom's credit card here and you forget about it. Maybe uh, people can access your mom's credit card. I actually think there's a really important role for schools to help kids think about how to approach uh, security from all different sides of this kind of stuff. But um, but beyond that, it's just so hard because it really runs up against the Constitution, and there's really, really clear precedent here, plus, the, you know, different cybersecurity dangers. So I don't want to make things worse in pursuit of making them better, which is my concern. Absolutely. All right. Since, since we've had this discussion, tell us a little bit about the R Street Institute, what it is and what you do there. Sure. Thank you. I love my job. I genuinely really, really love my job. We're a free market think tank. We work on everything from criminal justice reform to free market approaches to climate change to occupational licensing reform and tech policy. And our, our 
big ethos is free markets, real solutions. We want to find free market solutions to bite-sized policy problems. And I really love that. And I had all our digital media, so social media, email marketing, stuff like that. And then I'm also a fellow in regulatory policy because I am a nerd and I love regu- regulatory reform. What is what is what is some reforms you're trying to work on this year? Obviously, we're in November. A lot of the states go into session in January. What's the big thing sweeping the nation right now? Because we've talked a lot about these two issues, age verification for social media, age verification for porn. Those seem to be a pretty hot topic as we go into these new legislative sessions. Oh, for sure. There's a lot of interest in it all over. And um, and even when I disagree with elected officials, I'm always really grateful to have the opportunity to talk to them and just have them think through different opinions and different uh, sides of the issue. So that is one really big thing. AI regulation is coming really strong, too. That worries me because I'm worried about stopping cool new technology before it starts. Um, but on the bright side, uh, there's been a lot of occupational licensing reform um, for both parties. There's been interest all across. I'd actually kind of wish that Biden had done a little, a little bit more here like Trump had because Biden was really interested in it during his campaign, at least. Um, but the states are doing really great work here, letting people work across state lines. And I've also started working, and this is a judicial thing, not a legislative or executive thing, on uh, licensing reform for lawyers. Very gentle stuff, not really big changes, but enough to let lawyers work from different places to figure out if CLE is worth it, stuff like that. It's interesting. Uh, I know a few years ago when I served in the legislature here, we wanted the, I think we were the second state in the country that, that added, um, some sort of reciprocity that if you were licensed in another state, you came to Missouri, you don't have to complete all the same regs. I think we're the second state after Arizona that did that. So that's become a pretty big cause celebrated, right? Let's talk about the AI. Cause again, this is something I've been harping on. I view AI with a lot of wariness. To me, this is like fire and we're about to pour gas on it. And I'm afraid that AI is going to be detrimental long term to us as a culture and as a society. What is the proper role of the government in making sure that AI does not become, you know, Skynet and self-aware? Oh, for sure. Also, I work with uh, Representative Derek Ryer on the universal yeah. licensing recognition. He's great. I love him. I'm sad he's not there anymore. You know, but, sometimes um, moving real estate is easier than moving bills. I know. he's just He was such a great legislator. I can go on about him forever, though, with, uh, with AI. Um, I think one big thing to note is that, like, uh, regulations already cover a lot of the problems with AI. Um, basically, if, if uh, someone uses an AI system to discriminate against people, that's already unlawful. Um, regulations really cover a lot of these cases. It's kind of about figuring out where the gaps are in it and also privacy. I mean, privacy has been an issue that we kind of haven't tackled as a nation in and ever, and we really need to figure out how to handle online privacy. And I think if we get that straightened out, um, a lot of the AI problems don't go away, but they get a little bit simpler. But um, it's important that we allow it to, we, we allow people to figure out what AI can do. You know, I have a bunch of autoimmune diseases, and I'm, I'm always happy to talk about them. But one thing for me is because the diseases are weird and they work kind of differently for everyone, I'm honestly excited to see how AI can recommend treatments to me or even recommend ideas of 
what I should talk about with my doctor. Um, it's detecting cancer better or as well as doctors, and it could be a great check on them in certain cases. Um, it can make work faster and better and, uh, and be a helpful tool for, for people. So I don't want to stop any of the good stuff, but I think there are real privacy concerns that I understand people have. Um, and also, if there are gaps, and I'm sure there are gaps in law that might not cover some new uh, applications of this technology, we, we need to figure that out. But I'm, I'm really worried about stopping it from being able to do good stuff for people. What is the, and this sounds like a loaded question, but what are the good stuff that AI does? I, I, I feel like I spend all my time reading about all the bad and dangerous stuff. What's the good stuff that AI can do? I know it's a, it's a funny time to be a techno-optimist where I'm like, oh, wow, I love all this cool stuff it can do. Uh, one thing it does on a very simple level for me is when uh, a new staffer joins my organization, it writes a bio for them for me that then I send to our editorial team to be edited. Um, when I'm doing stuff on my own, it edits my pieces. Um, I've actually had it recommend different recipes for me or like, hey, I want to try this recipe, but I want to switch this out. And then, you know, detecting cancer. Um, being able to figure out, uh, you know, new uh, treatments for diseases or understanding how different co chemical compounds can work together. This is all really, really cool stuff to me. All right. Again, we're being we're, we're joined by Shoshana Wiseman. She's with the R Street Institute. You also do work. You you do work for the Federalist Society as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm in one of or two of their working groups. Very nice. Okay, Shoshana, we really appreciate you joining us today. Lots to be discussed on this. I'm sure the, the Missouri legislature is going to look. I know they're going to take up some of the, the age verification for pornography. I don't know if they're messing around with the social media stuff, but I'm sure this will be a constant conversation going forward. If people want to follow you and the work that you do on social media, how do they do that? Thank you so much. Rstreet.org has all of our work, um, and I'm on Twitter at Senator Shoshana. I'm not a senator, but a lot of people think I am. I was going to ask, what's the, what's the impetus for the senator title? Oh, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a senator. Then I met senators, and I'm like, man, this is a really awful job. I really don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah I was always a house guy. Senators, they're, they're never as fun as the house guys. Yeah, you know, the house is more fun. I tend to be more friendly with house people at the state and national level. <laughs> Uh, all right, it's it's at Senator Shoshana, S-O-A-S-H-A-N-A. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Likewise, thank you so much. Absolutely. Again, that was uh, Shoshana Wiseman talking about age verification legislation, which I, I, I again, find extraordinarily fascinating. Going to be interesting to see. We will be right back. We've got Jeffrey Clayton Stanford coming up next, talking to us. Talking to us about Bible studies in schools. How do public schools handle that? What is the first priority club? We'll have him on coming up right after this.